What's up, everybody? On this episode of the Boston Ski Party, we are joined by National Sales Manager of Blizzard Technica USA, Justin Haynow. Or, or is it Henu? Hey. I, I have no idea, dude. Just oh. do the intro. Okay, yeah, you're right. Well, they'll find out. Justin spent the younger years of his professional life bouncing around various roles in the ski industry before joining Tech Blizz in 2017, where he would be promoted to National Sales Manager in 2019. He was thrown into the fire, taking on a massive role at Ski Boot Giant Technica, and also having to manage the rapid growth that Blizzard Skis has experienced in recent years. We discussed Haynow's current role at Tech Blizz and some of the differences between his day-to-day on the boot side and the ski side. Since being promoted, Haynow has overseen some of Blizzard's biggest successes and arguably their best years as a ski brand. Super fun convo with my good homie Justin. Enjoy the show. Holla. It is what it is, man. 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 It's cheap, too. Duskymaster.com Dude, I also saw on social that you were in you were in France. Yeah. Dude, sick. It, we, it was you're in Annecy? Yeah, we did um kind of like a they used to call it like product council meetings, yeah. PCMs. Um, but now they're kind of really focused less around like how are we going to build a product or what we need to do for the next collection and really more focused now on like sales and go to market strategy because we're so connected, like the different country managers, the different peoples from the organization, like through text, email, teams, whatever it is, mm-hmm. um, that we focus on kind of like, okay, what's like the strategy beyond like the collection is now considered dialed where five, 10 years ago at that point in May, we were probably just like figuring out colors or waist widths, like the development timing has accelerated significantly. So, and you're saying for product, like in, in typically at that meeting in May for product that we would see at SIA or OR like that January. So in May of 22, we're basically putting the final 5% like done on the collection that will be like delivering into stores the fall of 23. Right. Okay. Um, it's essentially baked. It's almost like a speak now or forever hold your peace type deal. And then right. like one European country manager in uh, Berkowitz has talked about this, like one European country manager stands a bit like the last minute is like, we need to switch the colorways on the Bonafide and the Brahma 88. And the project, <laughs> the product manager is just like, dude, are you serious? <laughs> like it's over. It's done. Yeah. It, it, and there's, there's a coincidentally, there's a big um water sports scene there too is it not yeah yeah so we were the meeting was in chamonix which was epic like that is like the mecca i can't wait to go back there and like actually go skiing yeah um but then my wife and i did a little like vacation for four or five days afterwards she flew into geneva and just uh took a bus down to to annecy and i drove from chamonix to annecy it's awesome it's awesome i i've never been i've been to a lot of uh the country of france but i've never been to annecy and it looks just like as far as like from a scenery perspective and like the little, the town or the city, it, it looks like so fucking sick. Yeah. Solomon, I think is still headquartered. Yeah. They got to figure it so out. So the, or- the only reason I know that there's a big water sports scene there is because someone from Amer came through TSM a few years back. You know, they're here with the U S guys, you know, they're going to show us some product, um, want to check out ski monster or whatever. And so, you know, we just got started talking like, Oh, how was your summer? Like mm-hmm. you always do. And he's like, Oh yeah. Um, you know, super f- French, really thick accent. And he's like, yeah, you know, I, I've just, we just do a lot of uh, wake surfing. I was like, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Um, so, you know, then I'm like, what kind of boat do you have? I started talking. He's like, Oh, I, I have this, uh, it's a great, it's a great boat. It's, it's uh, it's called the TJ. And I'm like, okay, TJ. 
Like I'm pretty in tune with uh with like with inboard boats. I'm like I've never heard of a of a T T J before, and he's like, oh, that's super popular, super popular. So I like look it up on my phone. And I'm like, you mean like like a taiga? <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 no. It's T J. It's T J. And, I, and I show him the picture, and he's like, that's it. That's the T J. And I'm like, that's a, that's a taiga. They're made in t- made in Texas. Right. And he's like. Oh my God. And he's literally, he was like embarrassed. You could yeah. see, a, he's like me and all my friends, like we thought it was like a French boat brand. And we're like, oh no, you're, it's a Texas boat brand, but I, they're great boats. But that's the only reason why I know yeah. that there's a scene there because I got to correct a uh, Frenchie. On his, on a his boat lot boats. of water there, like a lot of lakes, I think. But the, the main one, like Lake Annecy or whatever, mm-hmm. is like, it's beautiful. I don't know if it's considered like glacial runoff or whatever, but like bright, bright, bright blue. Um, and you know you're in Europe, like, go up there. They've got, like, boat rentals. Like, if this was somewhere in the U.S., you'd have to, like, take an hour safety course, like, mm-hmm. credit card deposit, whatever. It was like, you got a valid driver's license? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, here's a power boat. <laughs> like, no <laughs> questions asked. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, similar with a, with a car there. I, yeah. I, I've, I've rented a car there before. And same thing. I just, I, I walked up. It was, it was based, it was, in, it was in northern France. It was in, it was the Normandy region. And my wife and I were going, I wanted to go to the American Cemetery. You know, I wanted to see it. it it's gorgeous. It, I highly recommend it for anybody. It's an incredible experience. But anyways, we're stupid tourists, so we get off the train. And she's like, how are we going to get to the cemetery? I'm like, I don't know. I mean, it's got to be close, right? I'm, obviously, it's not close. And we'll so they're like, oh, you can get in this van with, like, a bunch of old people and, like, go on, like, a nine-hour tour. And you're like, yeah, that was, that's not for us. So I see some, we're walking towards the town. <laughs> Same thing. There's just some kid standing some kid standing there next to like a car. I'm like, that, that dude's not from Northern France. You know, he's, I'm like, Hey bro. He just like turned around. He's like, Hey man, I'm like, where did you probably, I'm from Texas. I'm like, where'd you get that car? He's like, I just walked in this gas station and showed him my driver's license. And they just gave me a car. I'm like, perfect. So same experience. I walked to the gas station, showed him my driver's license. Laissez fair. Yes. <laughs> Guns in the glove box. And the guy, the guy that rented me the car, he saw my ID and he was like, Oh, uh, you know, broken English, of course. He's like, oh, you're from, from Boston. I'm like, yeah. He's like, oh, like Larry Bird. I'm like, yeah, exactly. He's like, my big dream is to go to Boston and watch the Celtics and then ski in Utah. I'm like, that's a great dream. He's like, can I do it in like a weekend? And I'm like, an afternoon. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> our country's a little bigger than yours. So it's going to be a little bit, you know, allocate some more days. 2,500 yeah. miles. <laughs> Small logistics. Small logistical things. Um, yeah. So dude. Stoked you're here. Justin Hay now on the pod. (laughs) Well played. Dude, that was so weird. You asked me to play that. I definitely was not expecting that. (laughs) He he, he didn't tell me what he was going to do, but he came in my office early. He's like, dude, so just when you introduce him, I got got something. I'm like, what is it? He's like, I can't tell you. He's like, it, it, was, it was me. It was Joe's idea. <laughs> Joe's idea. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude. Hey, now hit me up before he like found my email or something. He was like, yo, dude, when, uh, when Eric says my name, I just want you to play this. I I've got this walk up song. <laughs> company softball games. <laughs> oh, that can't be the first time you've gotten that. No, it's not. It's, it gets funnier every time because I'm never expecting it. It's playing at family reunions. Hey, now. <laughs> That was good. That was really good. I, I didn't know what, what to expect when you said that, but I'm, I am pleasantly surprised. So, <laughs> Gary Finn, thank you very much. Uh, so, yeah, first podcast, which is awesome. Yeah. Stoked that you're here. Um, and, yeah, man, Techno Blizzard, what's going on? You guys got a new ski? We do. Um, 
we're pretty excited about like where we've come over the last couple of years. There's certainly been a lot of challenges in the market. We've seen like a lot of probably what would be described, I would say, as like amazing things that have happened to skiing in terms of participation, like excitement about it. I think um, what we've seen from resorts are our people are reinvesting in infrastructure and trying to create a better guest experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but without going too much on a tangent, <laughs> the ski industry, specifically Blizzard <laughs> Technica, um, we've kind of been rung in what you brung the last couple of years, knowing um, that development is incredibly important for us. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the Blizzard MO is specifically designed, so it's not necessarily like a horizontal collection, like you're just going down a price list from most expensive to least expensive. And it's definitely more of a, like, categories or worlds or families. Like, you look at, like, what we've got going on with uh, Rustler and Shiva mm-hmm. or with um, Brahma Bonafide and Black Pearl uh, or on the front side with Thunderbird and Phoenix. Yep. Um, so what we've got coming down the pipeline that's delivering this year is going to be pretty familiar to, to most people um, when you talk about those main franchises of skis. Uh, but what's new that's going to be delivering this year is going to be a ski we call the Hustle, mm-hmm. um, which kind of lends its name from the Rustler uh, because it's got the same lower mold. So when we're looking at like a silhouette of the ski side cut and kind of the guts that go into the core, it's very similar, but a different top mold because it doesn't have a lot of the metal and extra materials that make the Rustler like a really great everyday do-it-all daily yeah. driver. Yeah, um, The Hustle is designed for uphill people that want a killer ride downhill. So like we think about the hustle or somebody who like lives kind of that value. It's somebody who lives and works in Jackson Hole, Wyoming that wakes up before dawn to shred, you know, bag a peak and then doesn't want to kind of like be bunt clutching on the way down with like sketchy turns. Like they're willing to sacrifice some weight on the uphill to get Mm -hmm. an absolutely killer ride downhill. So while it's taking a lot of the construction or design elements from the rustler it's less of a diet rustler um which you're seeing a lot in in kind of like the mass market is people chasing weight this is more of a guy who's or a girl who's looking for a zero g but like needs twice the gas yeah yeah they're gonna save weight maybe with the boot right um or other aspects with the binding or have two less beers on a saturday uh and they're they're down to compromise with the ski yeah I um, mean, it's pretty exciting. I mean, we skied at a bunch last year, all kinds of places. Yeah, we did. Um, quite a bit here on uh, days that it definitely wasn't designed for. You know, like that, uh, I think that it was that uh, first test day we did with you and Adam at uh, Cannon when we made spritzes up on the hill. Mm-hmm. We've been talking a lot oh, about yeah. spritzes <laughs> lately. We have. I mean, every, I, it's, it's, it's in. You guys are going to cast yourself. All roads lead to spritz <laughs> yeah, on, the, uh, yeah. on the BSP. <laughs> it's true. No, but that, that, was a, that, was a, that was an all-time spritz. I mean, that was a great setup in the mm-hmm. woods, hidden yep. from the elements. Mm-hmm. It was fucking freezing that day. It was freezing. The, the backstory to that is I had, like, an entire, like, case of the materials that luckily slid perfectly into my backpack like my gear backpack if you know canon we start at park hq so we go up the zoomer lift go down to the main area go up peabody ski down to cannonball quad up that and and then into the woods to to stash that so we could get it prepped but yeah i mean the chair lift seriously 
That, that, that was a really well-executed plan, I, I, and it was a surprise. It was, it was awesome. I have respect for Berkowitz for skiing with a backpack for so many years, like, especially after, like, one-and-a-half spritzes coming down Cannon. Res- Dude, whenever, I, with the whenever I see Matt skiing without a backpack on, it's like watching a dog run around a yard without, like, a leash. Like, they're just, like, having a zoomie just going nuts. It's, like, it's, it's so exciting. He's his, whole bo- his whole body is, like, shaking. He's like, oh, my God, he's so excited. His center of gravity is just completely <laughs> off because it's like having a bat weight on before you go on deck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like you actually see him do a pole plan instead of having just poles in one hand. It's incredible. Swinging for the fences without the backpack yeah. on. I mean, and he, and he doesn't look back when he has the backpack off. Like he's gone. With the backpack on, he's constantly looking back at everyone like t- talking like, ooh, yikes. or what? And, But with, with no backpack, he, he gone. Dude, he's just making sure everybody's watching him ski. It's like, oh, now that I have the backpack off, now I'm, I'm here to impress. I'm here to impress, yeah. yeah. I mean, actually, I'm, sur- I'm thinking about spritz. I'm surprised because everyone's been doing spritz. Because last time I saw you, we saw you. We went, to, we went to Fenway, but we didn't spritz that day. No, we had some of the best Bud Lights you can have, which are at Fenway for $88. Yeah, yeah. No, and even beforehand, we, I think we got like a, cheap. a bucket of Coronas. Or whatever. No, but you know what we did get that day is the best mozzarella sticks I've ever had. Yeah, at, uh, yeah. Just wow. Dylan's. 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 Yeah. Dylan's. Shout out Dylan's. Yeah, dude. Dylan's I mean, on Boylston. They're giving us money. Dude, phenomenal mozzarella sticks. I mean, I've had a lot of fried cheese sticks in my life, and this is top tier. We had a quorum at the table. We had like whatever, six, seven guys with us, and it was unanimous. It was unanimous. <laughs> Great <laughs> service, but too. They, they weren't like a typical uh, mozzarella stick shape, you know, where it was like more like a, a cylinder. It was shaped, honestly, a little more like a like a 110-millimeter waisted ski. You know, it was wider. Yeah, it, it, it was it was like a, a more like a wafer. It, yeah, wafer shape. Was it responsive? I was impressed by yeah, the side damp. Cut. The cheese was damp, <laughs> but I think the kicker was, which is the first time that I've had a mozzarella stick like this, is they didn't give it to you with like the regular marinara, marinara sauce, whatever it's called. It was like that pink, like vodka oh, a little sauce. vodka sauce. Yeah, yeah. it's coming so it back like to me. Thinner, now. yeah, and it was just I don't know. I mean, maybe we were just all in the moment, but. I, I felt like we, you know, we bonded over that mozzarella stick. There's like different levels of like, they rank like beers that are the best to have, like the airport beer, because you're probably right. going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. There's mm. no start. Shower, start shower beer. Shower beer. Yep. Yeah. Pre-wedding beer. Like, mm. yes. Yeah. Breakfast beer. The, mm. the, <laughs> the, the outfield bacon in the sun baseball game beers. Dude, I got to be the fried. top. <laughs> Dude, and they got like pummeled that day. There was like I think it was like four or five or nothing like the second inning. That, I don't know if you guys have been watching baseball, but that's pretty much every game. It's pretty much Sox every game. But you don't go to a Sox game to watch them win. You go, you but go to blackout. But you're sit, you're sitting there, and I I think Adam Sink had a, he had a tough day that day because I think he was really he was the most excited to like be at Fenway. You know he want, he was he, he was he was actually watching. We were we were all talking about like yeah who knows hustles, skis you guys have or known whatever. him for probably ten years. That guy has just a Red Sox hat like glued to his head yeah he was focused and he kept chirping at you about the stadium like you weren't even saying anything. his new thing is like he keeps calling the red sox america's team and i'm like (laughs) great dude just like the lakers and the cowboys america's team (laughs) he kept like looking back at you like this is what a real stadium looks like hey now this is a real baseball stadium you're like smell that green grass you're like i didn't even say anything to you But then since he brought it up, I'm like, yeah, 270 to left with, like, an 80-foot high wall. Like, this is straight out of, like, Williamsport. 325. <laughs> Which I and, actually, and foot wall. I'm kind of hooked right now. I don't know why. Iconic I, I, wall. I, I started watching it because it was just on. And, dude, the Little League World Series right now is lit. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, incre- it's awesome. I, I don't know. I can't look away. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, 
that team from Mass, I was obviously you know you're rooting for Mass because I'm from Mass, but it was uh it's it's really it's really awesome. And like when they like make an error or or slide in their in like they just like break down, you're like, dude, the passion is Emotion. incredible. You look at it like a major league or like your window is whatever. If you're good, maybe it's a decade, maybe yeah. it's a little less depending on your team. Couple of years, like the little leaguers are like, we've got this is our one chance. You're, yeah. Once you're past twelve or whatever it is, yeah. you're, you're just I mean, on to the next done. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's incredible, yeah. Thinking about that, what you said, Giorgio, I, that was the first time I've been to Fenway, and I, I don't think I went the year before. And, and yeah, that the prices were 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 shocking, the beer prices. Yeah, I think the high noon was like fifteen bucks. Yeah, at least it was crazy. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah, they but really run back it up because you don't have any other option. No, you don't. But it and does taste better. In the sun. It's a bet. Oh, yeah. Confirmed. Mm-hmm. In the sun, yeah. Oh, dude, speaking of taste, there's something I wanted to ask you about, too, because I saw, because obviously I follow you on social, is you were in Texas, too, this, this summer, right? I was. So, what's the deal? Is Terry Black's legit, or is it hype? I mean, everyone, every, you see it all over Instagram, are influencers pushing this place, or is it actually legit barbecue? It's a real deal. Wow. Like, I was hyping it up to myself, like, going into the trip, and then, like, day of I was like whatever like I'm not gonna fast like this is Thanksgiving or some <laughs> like eating competition like it's a normal day like just whatever we go there I'm like okay smells good whatever as soon as we walk inside like it's like the Louvre dude the Sistine Chapel the Louvre Disney World and like all rolled into the one Bellagio all in one <laughs> and like I've been to like these style barbecue restaurants before where it's not like you don't you don't get like the combo platter and pick your sides. You order the meat like by the pound, half pound, whatever, and then yeah. pick your sides. So we was uh it was a team summit with some of the the North American guys from Canada and, and all over the place. So like they weren't hip to like the true barbecue ordering style. So we basically bracketed ourselves into like groups of three or four. Okay. And I'm like, I don't I'm ordering. Like, let me know if you want a side. I got this under control. Yeah. We get the plate. It was brisket, beef ribs, pulled pork, baby back ribs, probably mm-hmm. half a dozen sides, like $300 worth of barbecue. Mm-hmm. Way too much food for four or five Yeah, you want to try you, you, you need to taste it. We set it down, and, like, I'm li- I literally didn't sit down. I was just, like, at the table. <laughs> like, <laughs> over, standing <laughs> over it? <laughs> like, kind of having a bit of a moment with myself. Like, it was, it is beyond the hype. And then you can go in the back into, like, the smokehouse <laughs> area, and the guys, like, let you in, answer any questions. Like, they do yeah. at that location in Austin, like 200 briskets a day. Wow. Like the volume that they do and still the quality control, like it's one guy focusing on one brisket for 12 hours or more is like the scale is incredible. It's incredible. I mean, it, and when you posted that photo, I was like, it's such a basic bitch photo. And then I was thinking about, it, I'm like, it's probably really fucking good. It's really good. <laughs> was it, was it, was it, is it packed? Like, can you, you wait in line? What, what's it's the vibe? It's just like the pro show. Like, it's not like one of these places with like a small kitchen and like one counter. Like they have like move you through a line, like multiple like areas to order and like a bunch of seating. So it's like, oh, man. you can actually go in there and like get a meal and not like be online for like four or five hours. Yeah. There's the smaller spots in Austin and some other spots that are like, you go and like uh Franklin barbecue is like, People show up at 5 a.m. and bring a cooler beer, and it's kind of like part of the experience. You wait like all day for the brisket. Right. But 
Well, I'm glad you, I'm glad you confirmed because I was, you know, obviously you'd see photos on the internet and you, you just think that it's just this influencer spot and they just got like hell of a fucking market. That wasn't game. a paid content. It's <laughs> just my passion for barbecue. I mean, I want to go. It's, it's just a, it's a trek. Obviously you have to have a reason to go all the way to, to Austin just to get barbecue. Yeah. It's a hell of a pitch. 10 out of 10 would recommend. Ah, uh, man. Well, I'm glad. Dude, actually I have a funny story to tell you because I was going to give you something today um, as being, you know on the podcast, but I, I couldn't get it. <laughs> it was denied me um, by Dennis from Lang. Uh, I can only imagine. He has a he has a uh, an email written by your father saying that how much he's he's basically like a love letter about his Lang boots. <laughs> <laughs> and how much he how much he, he, he like he could never imagine skiing in anything else besides Lang ski boots. And it's and I think he signs the letter off with like, you know, Lang Blue is thicker than blood or something like that. It's kind of like <laughs> Stockholm Syndrome at this point, I think, for my dad. You know, he's been in the industry for 40 years and just like doesn't know another way. No, no, I, I know. But but my, I was like, I had an, I told Berkowitz about it. I had I was like, I'm going to try to get Dennis to send me like a screenshot of it. And I was going to I was going to put it in like a like a eight and a half by 11 frame. And I was going to frame it for you. I was going to give it to you as a gift. But oh my God. but Dennis. <laughs> And Dennis and fucked me on it. I'm and sure <laughs> it's like he's he's holding that. Like he's waiting for the right moment. Yeah. Maybe today wasn't the right moment, but no. he's gonna use that strategically, I'm sure. I was very upset because I was like, I, you know, you have these weird ideas, everyone has them, and then you're like, you get so excited. You, I, everyone else is probably like, Eric, it's not really that great idea. But I was like, no, this is gonna be so f- and funny. And then literally he's like, I can't send it to you. I'm like, God damn it. Well, respect Dennis. <laughs> Appreciate that. He you uses already... that. Yeah, he shows anybody who's trying to choose between a Lang and a Technica. You already have <laughs> my next of kin in blue boots instead of orange boots. So, like. <laughs> and to clarify, Dennis is uh, the sales manager of Lang Dina Star, and Justin is. Uh... Yeah, you're called a sales manager of Technica. North, North Dennis, Dennis might be like the head cheese. Yeah. 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 Yeah, he, yeah. I think I think Dennis's title now is I think he's head cheese, head yeah. cheese, vice, pres- vice president of cheese, yeah. best cheese. fondue in town. Yeah, he does. He he does. When we go there, I, uh, kudos to Dennis. He does hook it up. I mean, he 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 likes he likes nice meals and nice things, and we, he he always puts on a good show for us. When we go and sit, see the boots too, he always has like a nice chacoot ready for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. It's yep. pretty. It's pretty rad. Yep. This guy sounds really into cheese. Yeah, he, that's yeah. why he's called the head cheese. That's the French company. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh. So a lot of travel. We we actually traveled a little bit too. If you listened, which I know you did, because you just said that you did. Um, when we were in your motherland of ski building, so we were, we were there earlier this this uh, this year in May. So I want to talk a little bit about the factory with you, um, because I, I texted you when we were there because we had just we had just skied on those protos at um, Suicide Six, I believe, mm-hmm. and. I saw one that was obviously, you know, just got done with some adjustments and it was in like the ready to ski rack when we were in the, uh, in the, 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 devis- the, 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 the torture the, room, the torture room. We were in the torture room. Yeah. So there was some fresh pressed, um, um, test skis ready to go. So I was like, I'm going to hit a panel right now. So do we, did we beat you to the factory? No, I went, um, they've done a ton of reinvestment and like modernization to it yeah. since I've been there, but I went, Maybe in like 14 or 15. Nice. I was working for Nordic at the time, and they were launching a brand new ski to them at the time called the Enforcer. Mm-hmm. You've heard of it? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, no. yeah, yeah. yeah. Rings and they they yeah. brought uh, all the reps over there, like definitely needed a, a shot of life and something to get excited about at the time. So I went over and saw the factory there. And the night before, 
was like really my first big trip to Europe. I was uh, maybe like a 23, 24-year-old tech rep in the Mid-Atlantic. And uh, both of our good buddy, Mike Martini, mm -hmm. we went out in Mid-Ursel with a couple of the other guys the night before, and they were like, Pear schnapps, peach schnapps, all kinds of stuff. Like <laughs> all the schnapps. You're 23 in mid or so Austria. Like you're not thinking about tomorrow. And then like <laughs> woke up and realized real quick that I was going to like an industrial like factory with like noise, heavy machinery, mm -hmm. noises, smells. I mean, you guys yeah. have been there. There's yeah. a lot going on. So it's when you're, it's it's the best place to cure a hangover. Having yeah. a rough morning. It's it's something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot going on. So how did that transition work? Because you, you just mentioned it. You mentioned this is the, the sister brand. So how did it work for you going from, you know, working for Nordica to transitioning to TechBiz? So got out of college and was like going to take a path to be a ski bum or, uh, and move out west or try and figure out if I could get a job. So ended up like throwing my name in the hat and right place, right time. They had a like a basically a regional promotions guy, tech rep kind of guy in the mid-Atlantic. So New York, New Jersey, PA uh, for Nordica. So got hired by them, like literally first job out of college, got a company Subaru demo fleet and just kind of like pounded the pavement, mm -hmm. like for September through March, April, like typical ski season timing was probably driving. Was like, it, was that the year they had the suit? What was like the, uh, like the Technicolor Dreamcoat? No, Subaru? I was luckily the next year where they like, <laughs> like overcorrected and it was like literally black, black. logo, like the Patron boot, like mm. blacked out black everything. So mm. like you couldn't even see the logo. So it's like, okay, this yeah. is a little too much correction. Yeah. <laughs> But was was basically doing that for four years, working with like an awesome dude, Dave Klesholte, who who taught me a lot about the kind of brand side of things, um, and then kind of like typical, like you guys have seen it a million times, like the April, May, June timing in in the ski industry is like the rapture. Like everybody like will change jobs or mm -hmm. do something different within a company, and it like all happens at once because we're so busy the rest of the year in the winter that it just seems like it all happens in one condensed period. So I gotta a call from Blizzard Technica. They were looking to bring somebody on in-house to kind of work sales support. Like, I think the title was sales coordinator at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it was like definitely a little weird for being on the Nordica side for four years and then just kind of going to the other side of the building. Um, or at least from the outside, it seemed weird, but then kind of jumping into it with both feet, it was it was a smooth transition. And um, yeah. Yeah. five years since then <laughs> yeah but and, and you weren't in that initial role very long until you have your current role right it was only a couple year gap i think it was like maybe two years where i was basically working my boss at the time was sam cook so i was working directly for him and kind of traveling everywhere together like in meetings together really like his kind of associate and everything that he was doing and then as his role needed to continue to evolve within the brand and the company um i was able to get the, the job of sales manager at that time yeah so what's your, what is, what does your job entail? What's your day-to-day -day like? What do you do? I wake up every morning wondering that. <laughs> <laughs> what do I do here? That breakfast beer helps. Yeah. Um, I guess like I would say like I manage the sales to put it like kind of sarcastically, but like that's kind of what it is. It's a lot of day-to-day um, -day just babysitting, you know, the financials of the company to a degree. Um, but what I find is the more fulfilling or more like, like labor of love part of the job is managing the dynamics of our distribution. So mm -hmm. making sure, um, with the product manager, the sales manager and, and the supply planner and all of the, the logistics teams and marketing, making sure we've got like the right product at the right time at the right place, basically. So forecasting. Yeah. It's a lot of forecasting. 
Um, but then also like managing through like, you know, supply and demand type stuff of if we've only got X number of skis and like, we feel like it's about the, the inventory is valued at this, making sure that we're, we're doing right financially by the company so I can keep my job and we can keep the lights on. So, so, so really since 2019, I mean, you guys have had a run. I mean, everyone in the ski business knows like, and you can't kind of came on when you guys were kind of still, and you still are running. So the hustle would be, I guess, before we get into, you know, what's kind of come down the pipe, that would be like you and, and maybe Christian Avery as well, the, the product um, side of the business for you guys. That's like your, your first kind of project together as kind of in, in those two roles. Am I correct in that? Yeah, we launched, um, maybe you could say kind of the first one was when we redid the all mountain skis. So Brahma, Bonafide, okay. Black Pearl uh, in the winter of maybe like 1920, but we were both still kind of like working on our relationships with Europe right. and things like that. You've had other guys on here like Corpy the other day, like he's long established, like decade long relationship with Europe. So Christian and I are still fostering a lot of that. So um, that 1920 um, Black Pearl, Brahma Bonafide, that must've been when it went to True Blend. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Got it. And that was still like, we talked about the development time on a lot of things that was the gears of that or the like concept of the true blend core was definitely in motion. Like before we were fully wrapping our arms around the business. Yeah. So this kind of revamp of, of, um, or I should say the launch of hustle definitely was, um, something we kind of had a need in the market. There's a difference, a wide gap, I would say between like a Rustler 10 and a zero G one Oh five. So we had the product brief was kind of like easy to develop knowing there was a need, for our consumer base or just mm -hmm. the ski industry as a whole. And then it was leaving it to the, the product validators and the testers and the R and D guys to like help that come to life. Mm -hmm. um, Avery's definitely got his hands like really dirty with like the new Rustler and Shiva, which have, are going to be a totally new ground up mold investment on both the men's and the women's side. The current iteration is, you know, a, was a Rustler project in like 16 or 17 and then kind of like most companies do basing the Shiva off of the development that happens with the men's mold. This was two totally independent projects for wrestler and Shiva. Well, and like, you know, when you were talking about, uh, you know, the amount of forecasting that you're doing and Blizzard Technica has a lot of hits. You have a lot of really successful models. I mean, the Black Pearl 88, that is, um, you know, the best-selling women's ski and maybe that was the best-selling ski Period. Period for a few years. Yeah, I think the 88 probably total, you know, Black Pearl 88 or before when it was just called the Black Pearl when we had different franchises. I bet it's definitely knocking on the door, probably like 90,000, 100,000 pairs sold. That's over a lot. The last, wow. I That's, mean, it's been around for a decade, but. Yeah, but it's still going. Yeah. And, you know, like, so what's it like being you and you have like this super successful ski and you're like, you know, how much longer is this going to last? You know, because there's. There is stiff competition out there, but I mean, the Black Pearl 88, I mean, that has its, its place. I mean, it's so carved into the market and like the last ski that was kind of like that on the women's side was probably like the K2 Love yeah, like series. Love, love series. True yeah. Love, all of yeah. those, yeah. Um, I mean, what's like, you know, you have, you know, the, the Black Pearls, the Brahma, the Bonafide. Um, and like, so if you're going to get rid of one of those skis or change something, like you were just talking about with like having to get the wheels going to create something. I mean, all of those stars kind of have to. It's nerve wracking for sure. When you look at like the last time we, you know, we kept the size curve 
roughly the same. Um, changed the brakes so we could have more models. Went from like seven centimeters to six centimeters. But like with the Black Pearl 88, we kept the 159 centimeter because that's like the keystone size and then built it around yeah. that. So a lot of it is just, you know, from my perspective as the sales guy is like, God, I hope we don't fuck this up. Yeah. But from the, the product <laughs> side of it, they look at it as a, you know, a challenge and something that's like really exciting and they want to refresh it to kind of have their fingerprints on it in like a new exciting way. And I'm just like white knuckling. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, yeah, because I mean, especially with you guys, you're growing certain SKUs like year over year and then like, holy crap, like, orders are coming in. Holy crap. Like this, this ski is growing or boot is growing, whatever we're talking about. And like how to, to forecast for production has got to be quite a challenge. I mean, because we literally just saw production and they're, they're going six days a week, 24 hours a day, three, eight hour shifts, you know, and they're making as many skis as the, as the factory can possibly make. So for, for you as somebody that's monitoring all, obviously the sales for every aspect of tech, Blizz, never mind just like one particular thing could be really hot. How do you, how do you find production time? It's tough. I mean, I, I'm not fully in like the conversations of like, Hey, like we need X number of production time. We've got, um, some really talented individuals in Italy and Austria that mm -hmm. are doing that. And, and Christian works really closely with them. Um, you know, when it comes to forecasting though, like I, I'm not gonna like pull any punches here. Like the black Pearl 88 is definitely a large piece of the pie of like our total unit plan, let's say, or right. however many skis we hope to sell in the U S mm -hmm. so we're going to build that many and, and hope we sell them. But I think a lot of the success of that is even though there's such a high level of units associated with that skew, we do a lot like going back to specifically design, like we still don't put all our eggs in that basket. Like, you know, I've had one foot on the ground with that ski for probably like what feels like five years now, six years now of like people trying to, you know, whether it's buddies in the industry for competitors, you know, trying to say, oh, this is a year we're, <laughs> we're going to get you or whatever. <laughs> um, but it's, it's building in like specifically design. What I'm getting is like the, the models around it, like whether it's the Shiva nine or the Shiva 10 or having, Black Pearl 97, which kills it out west in its own right, or mm -hmm. um, even some of the the shredding frontside skis in Phoenix. Like, it's not just focusing on the storytelling or the leverage of Black Pearl and Black Pearl 88. Yeah. And, you know, you guys have done such a great job creating a brand, you know, within a brand with all of your skis, um, specifically the Black Pearl, because as we're talking about, but even with, with you know, Brahma and Bonafide, the skis kind of just like you know, whether they're blizzard or not, like people know that name. And I think I speak for the whole industry when you say that when someone comes in and they say they want to buy a black pearl, it's not a blizzard black pearl. It's just, it's, it's incredible what you guys, what blizzard, what the brand has done. Well, it's, it's also incredible. Um, and when we're, uh, you know, talking to internally or with other brands, like you guys have done the best job of like creating, you know, the respective categories, like, you know, with, uh, uh, Brahma Bonafide to Rustler to zero G Thunderbird and then race. I mean, it's so well defined and they have their homes that just, you know, seem to make sense. And even in boots, I mean, it's kind of crazy that it's, you know, 2022 and we're just starting to see brands copy you guys. And it was very simple. It's just LV, MV, HV, EHV. Yeah. Which that, now that's not that crazy of a concept, but it was, it's been so clean and I mean, kudos to you guys. It's crazy from a development you know, where you really like on the ski side, you try and go after like one collection a year and kind of rotate through them. So when you've got not just three or four, you've got whatever, six, seven, eight, it definitely, um, 
causes the like the R and D guys and the product guys to be like a little bit pinned. Yeah. And on the boot side, it's you know you've seen it through the evolution of like okay this year the LV's new and we're adding T drive to it or this year we've launched a new HV boot because to us it's important that with that LV MV HV volume concept we've got it in both the high performance boots and the sport performance boots with Mock Sport so it's not you know like hey if you've got a narrow foot like you're the, that's your only chance of getting in a high performance boot. Sometimes yeah. ex World Cup guys have a fat foot, and sometimes like novice skiers or weekend warriors have like a super low volume foot and ankle, and like don't need to just be in a, a bucket of love. Well, and what's what else is cool is like in the you know Mach 130s, for instance, or I guess you guys do this in all your flagship models, but if you have a wide foot or a high volume foot, you still get to have the cool color. You still right. get the performance where in other brands mm -hmm. you, you don't, you get like the, Oh yeah, you're not in the flagship low volume thing. Well, it's it, cool that you guys didn't do that. Yeah. It, it looks like you're in the flagship low volume thing. Yeah. Which is awesome. I mean, you have to be a nerd or a geek to like to realize know. like, Oh, right. that's a little bigger. Right. But if you just saw him walking by you, you know, and, at Killington, you're like, oh, that guy, well, that guy, that guy shreds. You got to push it to the <laughs> 130 flex, you know, whether it's coaches yeah. or uh, mock or zero G. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, across the volume concept. It's awesome. And now it's kind of like a standard. I mean, we, again, we talk about it internally. It's like the LVH, VMV. It, it's almost like an industry standard that just kind of happened. Yeah. Um, and you guys are a big proponent of that, which is really cool. Yeah, and just executed on it much better. Yeah. I look at it as like not like, oh, like, you know, whatever brand X is like ripping off like our story, our convention, because I think it's like good for the consumer and good for skiing to have like those exactly. kind of fit options. Yeah. And everyone knows now. Yeah. It's, it's great. Another thing too with boots, and we, maybe we, we were, I can't remember who we were talking about this with, but what is it with Technica boots that like you guys have pin, releasable cuff, boots and they just sell so it seems to be they sell so much better than other comparable boots in that category like what is that to me it's like it's cas like not to make it like all salesy but like the custom adaptive shape mm -hmm. like is the difference maker and like the number one thing when we really started hammering on like the fit of mach one or even mock sport um is like whether you're kind of selling in at like a trade show or a line preview or you're clinicking and getting shop kids education in the fall before they like start going to bat for you boot fit season is like take the liner out like a lot of the guys have even just gotten a separate liner to have on display in their showrooms or whatever i think the engineering design and like performance of those liners is everything yeah they're that's they're the key great. because it's it's a really incredible i mean just from a well, zero g and then Coaches, obviously, which I, I ski in a Coaches 130, and the boot is, is awesome. But everybody makes a boot like that, really, right? I mean, every competitor is making something like that, and it just seems that just the tech, the, the Coaches series just absolutely is just it wins. Mm -hmm. It's a, like the, everybody's chasing, like, do you want, and you guys like doing boot fits, like you see this on a daily basis, like the boots that fit great out of the box but maybe don't have like the longevity necessarily, but you get that like warm cookie feeling when you're putting your toes into that toe box as a consumer for the first time. So like it's a fine balance of you do want an element of that, but you don't want the liner to be packed out after just five days of skiing at Canon. Like you also want like structure and integrity and like anatomic shape. I mean, you take those out and like the asymmetrical ankle area, the CAS zones, everything's like really well thought of. Yeah. And, you know, I said this in uh, the podcast with Corpy, but, you know, listeners just look at like a Technica yeah. boot versus everything else. And it is a night and day difference with how much more 
they, you know, really work on making that like not just a, a product that functions really well, but looks amazing. Yeah. The fit and finish is incredible. Mm-hmm. You touch it on the shelf. I mean, it just feels more expensive. It, it, it feels good. And you're like, this is, this is an awesome, this is, this is an awesome piece of equipment. I think I have one of the easier jobs of like the sales guys in this country because like, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like a lot of times, like I just got onto the bullet train at the last stop before it took off, you know, <laughs> and like it, it definitely makes my job a lot easier when the product is, is so incredibly dialed. Now, is there, is it easier for you to, uh, forecast for boots than it is skis is there you know any I actually never there? thought about that yeah <laughs> um is one more finicky than the other no i don't think so um and i might like think about this in like an hour and be like oh yeah Garrett, yes. we gotta <laughs> come back in but i don't come I don't, on back I, I actually don't think so because like you would think like okay like the different volumes within the flexes of mach one for example like how do i you know, pinpoint where the velocities and quantities are trending, but it is the same thing on the ski side with the different kind of families and, and things like that, whether Rustler or, or Brahma. You know, um, I don't remember how many years ago this was. It was pre-COVID. Matt was here. So I think it was spring of 2019. Rosnell had us out to a, a focus group in Snowbird. And it was uh, us, Evo, REI, Backcountry, I think Christie's, and maybe a store from uh, Jackson Hole. And it was about when they were going to be killing, you know, the seven series skis because the, you know, the marketing and the sales guys were like, you know, if we keep producing these sales are still fine, but we are going to die with, you know, this brand raw, the, we're just going to go down with the seven series. So we need to, you know, pivot and do something else. And yeah, sales are going to dip, but in order for Rosignal to continue on, that's what we have to do. Is there anything, any like similar thoughts that you've had to deal with, with, I mean, you have such like crazy successful products. Anything like that go through your head ever? Yeah, I mean, like what Blizzard and Technica have, have done in the last couple of years is is certainly awesome. As like a skier at my core, like I love working for the company because whether it's like a Carver day or like I'm going to do some exercise and like go uphill at Mount Abram in the morning, like on a zero G, like I've got a full quiver that I know I can trust and have a blast on mm-hmm. um, in terms of like, reinventing something or trying to change it up like it's like you know like the aging quarterback like you want to get rid of him a year too early before a year too late and then it like great might, be t- yeah. <laughs> might be tough to turn it around after that fact yeah. um so the product guys are like always thinking and because we have so many different like worlds categories collections families whatever you want to call it like mm-hmm. they've got staged out what they're going to work on for like the next like seven six or seven development cycles yeah and then that's you know the, the immediate two are definitely like written in pen because it's like, hey, we have to do these. We've invested and, and like secured the funds and the development dollars for this. But then like outside of four or five years, it's like based on need, you know, where yeah. we might accelerate. Um, you know, maybe I'm thinking a couple cochises ago back to like the original one that was like translucent plastic and like three buckles. And then there was a revamp to like more what we know today is like Thank the God. four. I, yeah. I, I forgot about that three buckle one. It was dude. It, it was a not stepping good. stone. It was a, <laughs> it stepping, was a stepping stone. stone. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it was like a it was like a tie dye like yeah. lower right. Well, but, dude, what, it was kind of similar to our like countertop. Like it was marbly. Yeah, yeah, and I, like upper and lower were different colors. Yeah, yeah. But then like going to the the next version. Like it was definitely considering, you know, after that was running its course, like rather not see this thing tank because, you know, 
naturally, this happens to every brand, your competitors, like, just lap you in some instances. So it, it's always a point of emphasis to focus on, like, where we see there might be, like, a potential gap in our product line. Well, dude, um, so that prototype that we spent a lot of time skiing on, well, I guess we were on a bunch of prototypes, you mm-hmm. know, like one, two, three. Then there was that wild card one. That's in my basement right now. Is it? The secret secret sauce. Good to know. (laughs) That, that ski when it comes out is, um, I mean, it's already one of my, you know, favorite skis that have skied this season and doesn't come out for a year or two, but that ski is going to give, you know, declivity, uh, from Armada so many skis and run for its money. Like, and you know, that was just the prototype version. Like once they actually have it dialed in with production and like that thing is like skiing money, like, Oh my God. Thing, it was, it's insane. Yeah. That thing was definitely like unpolished rhinestone. Like definitely was, or dude, or, that ski fucked. Yeah. Dude, that was good. <laughs> it did. It really They're going to like hone it a little bit more, but like, it's almost like it's like, it's kind of more badass with like the naked top sheet and some of the elements that make it like a little bit too aggro. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's a fun ski that I definitely told Avery. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to have this. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, you're not, you don't need to send this back to Italy for like but quality dude, control dude, or anything. Didn't that ski go back to Austria to get tuned? Like it got flown back to Austria to be tuned, then yeah. flown back. God, that's Damn. fucking yeah. wild. Yeah. And that, is that one one that, that proto underfoot? No, 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 no. Is it one of one? Oh, one of one. Yeah. yeah. Sick. Yeah. So the, the ones that we saw that came off uh, the production line for, for testing, those were... That was like the next development of after we had the day at S6. Okay. That was like the next round that was like going to come to the U.S. for additional hammering with athletes and just like checking everything. We it, did, uh, I think it was probably before... That might have even been as a result of our time together, and then we did, like, an athlete summit the first week of March in Jackson. Yeah. And then, like, the feedback from that. Oh, yeah, you did have it out of Jackson when we were there. Yeah, yeah. you guys were there, too. Yeah, we bumped yeah. into well, you in the well, tram you, line. You were like, oh, like, are you guys going to free ski? We're like, yeah. And you're like, yeah, I'm bummed. Just gonna, I'm going to miss right. it. I'm going to be All out. fucking time trip. It was <laughs> so fucking good. And then literally we're in the line for for the, the tram. I turn around, and you're like, hey. <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? I have the weather app on my phone, <laughs> and it gives me a 10-day forecast, so I made a very appropriate course correction it, to chase the two it was, feet of it was, snow. And it was such an appropriate hey, too. Like, you looked out, you're like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just saw you, like, a few weeks ago, and you said yeah. you were not coming here. You're like, well, it's snowing, so I'm here. So those prototypes, uh, when uh, does that ski probably is something that we we buy and sell to customers. What that, season would that be? That will be like the upcoming selling. So like the next time you ski a, a version, it's not going to be a prototype anymore. It's going to be the real yeah. deal brand spanking new It's Ruster. so good. Yeah. In January? Maybe earlier. Sick. Maybe earlier. Because we had, what, there was three different ones that day, right? That yeah. were all kind of like bl- blended together to potentially be... And then we'll have like, we'll have like current Rustler 10. We'll have like a bona fide so you can like get the guardrails. We had probably like a hustle 10 as well. And Mm -hmm. then like we do, Avery does a really good job of like taking you through a testing process where like I rag on him all the time because he makes me ski the same run the same way. And I'm like, dude, what? (laughs) But it's like he, he creates a controlled environment and then like, you know, you give him feedback, not discussing it amongst a group, but give him feedback on what you felt with this ski A versus B versus ski. See and then like at the end we kind of have the big reveal of like what was the guts or the logic behind each of the skis to 
help get the, the feedback like finalized and then affect change. Yeah. And you know, when we had that day at uh, suicide six, we had, um, uh, so much new staff there, customer service, uh, members. And like that was their first time testing skis that were basically the same, like at the prototype level, which is much different than testing skis. Like we do when we're like picking out what tent. to buy. Yeah. Um, where it's like, you really have to be pretty dialed to understand the nuances between things. And then like you were just saying, be able to articulate that to Christian. And I'm, you know, so happy that we had so much staff and you had some allowed us to have so many people there to like figure some of that stuff out because they are now so much better at their job because of it. Yeah. And I mean, we had, we had a great day, no doubt, but it was, it was definitely kind of funny too, because they were kind of in a lack of snow and then there was that race. Yeah, they have, <laughs> the, the first like run, the, we're like, oh, we'll just go down next to the race course. And like all the coaches were just like sliding back, like blocking yeah. us from skiing. We're like, right, I guess we're not skiing down there and again. Sticking like their head out. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, it was the Fisk race or something, which is like one of the oldest yeah. races in the country continually running. And like, they're not going to stop that for a bunch of yahoos trying to <laughs> test wrestlers. No. Dude, but it, it was a good test run. We had a like a killer right footer and a, like you just had to hammer a left footer at the bottom or yeah. else you're going to like fly into the trees. Yeah. Sick. Gave you a bit of everything. <laughs> yeah. As New England tends to. Do. <laughs> that that exactly. day, yeah. They they were they were, that was rough conditions, but I think they got like a foot like a didn't they like, like like a few days later, which was awesome. It's like a cool little like valley notch whatever you want to call it there outside of Woodstock that definitely gets socked in with snow like almost to the same way that they do like down the road in Killington it just kind of gets trapped there it's obviously way less skiable acreage invert but yeah it's a fun place to ski the, the view off the top looking at Killington off the top of suicide six yeah. is all time yeah it's an all-time view um before we move on I just want to ask another forecast question because it's something that, yeah. that it's super interesting to me um is that when when something say catches fire right because you don't always know. I mean, you might sell in something preseason, and it's not as much as maybe you thought you would sell in preseason. Then the season starts, and whether it's booter ski or whatever, you're like, holy crap, like this particular skew is just is on fire. Um, how early, it's kind of, I guess, like a two-part question. Like, how early from a manufacturer side do you see that trend happening where you're like, holy shit, my forecast was off on this ski because now it's blowing up and we don't have enough. Like, we, we left all this money on the table, and then, is it possible for you to go back and say, hey, guys, we could sell another X amount of pairs of boots or skis from this model. Can we get it? Yeah, that's so like my first forecast, if I like if we want product here to deliver in July, it's got to get to our New Hampshire warehouse in like late May, June. I'm submitting like the first like real deal forecast with with the crew like November. So it's tough to like hedge your bet at that time on right. like what uh, if a new skew is or new boot or ski is going to be hot at that time. Um, but we've kind of scaled it to, you know, you're going to sell X number of Black Pearl 88s or Brahma 88s in a year, Mach 1 MV120. So the first couple runs when we submit that forecast is like the the black ski pants, you know. Yeah. You yeah. can't get enough of them. And then depending on what it is, you know, it's it, a lot of it's just like learning through the the different launches, you know, year over year where, okay, uh, maybe a Rustler 11 is not going to be as like big up front, whether it's with retailers or whatever, but that's going to be an important ski once there's some sell through or if the Pacific Northwest, you know, gets a La Nina year, all of a sudden everybody's looking for powder skis right. and 
it might just be a weird off year where like you guys probably had it before your appointment base where like it'd be dead and then everybody shows up at yeah. three o'clock because they all call each other. It's like yeah. every patroller needs a new Russell 11 at the same time. Yeah. So there's, as we've been building more skis because we're selling more skis, it's been less um, easy to do that. But, you know, you can make an impassioned pitch as a sales guy to, to your Italian and Austrian counterparts and basically be like, hey, this is, this is important from a dollars and cents standpoint, but this is also going to be something that's going to be really important to drive the brand. And then this is not just a one-year cash grab. This is the long-term play to right. make the brand successful. Now, you also have, I mean, Blizzard Technica is a global brand, and there's plenty of markets all over the world. Is there ever something that comes up where, you know, it was a horrible snow year in Europe and they need to move product and give you a call like, hey, can you sell this stuff? It's been, like, it's never like massive like product dump, but like a couple of years ago, I think it was maybe for two, three years in a row, the Alps just had like some really tough, dry winters, like his like century record bad winners. And then there's like some of the, the less vector product, you know, there is some ability to like bring that in the U S or go somewhere else. Or like one of my first years this is like a dumb story, but like one of my first years, uh, there's a subsidiary model, which like, I don't need to like, I'm sure you guys know what this is, but like for the listeners, the subsidiary model is like where we are like essentially like a business entity that's like employed by the parent company and over generalizing it yeah. where a distributor is kind of like a separate business venture that operates on behalf of the brand. Again, yeah. like super reductive, but just painting with, with easy pictures. Um, the distributor in like Poland or the Czech Republic like went under. So there was like all of this like mock sport boots that we were able to get. Uh, yeah. And like somebody like on a call called it like, like what a goddamn circus. And I was like a Polish circus. <laughs> so then I Google, I like my mind like works like this. I Google Polish circus and I get this Polish proverb on Google images that comes up and it's a unicycle ridden by three monkeys on top of each other. <laughs> and it just says, not my monkeys, not my circus. <laughs> so because of that, that's like something I use <laughs> more at home than I do at work, but not my monkeys, not my circus. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. What an image to come up. Yeah. Three right. monkeys on a unicycle. So I want to talk about this because it's the ski that we, that George had just mentioned and, and we were, t and now it's in your basement. Um, because I think it's an important question because it's such a huge part of Blizzard as a brand and where you guys have, have, have gotten to, I mean, the, the, the bonafide, the bull series skis kicked off. I don't know. You'd probably know the year, um, Dude, uh, I think 2012, at least 10 11, years ago, probably. 11, yeah, 11 something like that. Yeah, and obviously that bonafide was just so critical on and making this whole engine start to really kind of go, you know. And I just think, I mean, you correct me if I'm wrong, and feel free to jump in, George. But like, I, I just think over the last few seasons, for sure, the bonafide has gotten to a place where it's like a, I think it's almost a little scary for people, um, just from someone that talks to people about skis all day long. You know, you know, it's maybe a little too stiff. It's not as playful as what maybe the market is dictating right now. Um, and then you guys made it black. Which, which makes it makes it even look yeah. even scarier, and then to the touch, you know, you you, you feel it, and you're like, okay, it, okay, it's kind of heavy, um, but knowing that 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 name and and that ski has kind of got you guys to where to where you are, I mean, the secret sauce ski that we were talking about, I mean, it, it's got to be kind of like a huge important project for the whole brand to kind of get this right. Yeah. So like when we redid the bonafide with the True Blend Core. 
Rustler was really starting to get momentum. Rustler had probably been around for two, three seasons at that point. We saw the way that the West and kind of certain consumers in the East at that time were really gravitating more to those kinds of skis. Our competitors were getting into that space to a degree and where that kind of two sheets of metal, full wood core, like absolute charger, like the the kind of quick hit product review you guys did on that, I thought was very to the point and accurate to where the bona fide is positioned now. Mm-hmm. When we rebuilt it with True Blend, it was almost like we, w- we were hyper concerned, I feel like, about making sure there was enough delineation between Rustler and yeah. Bonafide. Right. Because, you know, the initial pitch on Rustler, most accounts were like, why do we need 200 wasted skis from Blizzard? Like, that doesn't make any Gosh, sense. Gosh, isn't it funny yeah. how things change? Yeah. You're talking yeah. about the video we just dropped? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got to plug the YouTube. Check it out. Like and subscribe. It's true. Uh, like and subscribe. I also, yeah, I should also address, dude. I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with some technical difficulties over here, and oh, thanks these, for letting us know. These beeps on the GoPro are just like exposing me for having <laughs> production issues. So it's okay. No, it's you're not. Doing both right. our first podcast. Sorry, man. Yeah, you, you're, you're, right. doing, you're doing great. First take. So but, uh, with the uh, with that, like it definitely became perceived as more like of an aggro ski. And I feel like part of that was also like us feeding into it where before it was like your bona fide is your one ski quiver. And now we've got something that is definitely more playful, maneuverable, performs better in softer snow comparatively. So then it was like the bona fide definitely got moved over to be typecast as, as a little bit more unforgiving. And like, I'll be the first to say like, it is an absolute charging ski. You've got to like be on it when you're on it for sure. It is. And from someone that's worked in a ski shop for his pretty much his whole adult life, you know, when you talk to people, the person that's going to be selling that ski at the, at the consumer level, right. And you bring in a Russell, you know, two 100 wasted skis and that guy or gal maybe went to a demo, skied them both. And then they're going to size up whatever customer's coming in. And that customer in their brain is like, Oh man, like I skied them both. I really think the rustler is going to be, you're going to have more fun on the rustler. And I think that becomes, you know, kind of a weird thing that trickles down to everybody else mm-hmm. because you're essentially now kind of like typecasting the bonafide as like just for this one guy who is heavy, strong, mm-hmm. X racer kind of dude. And you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're going to love that ski. But for everybody else, when you have that other option from the same brand, you're going to say that this ski is probably gonna be better for most of your days. You also look at the waist width. So where like we've got wrestler nine and wrestler 10 and wrestler 10 is far more accessible and versatile a ski than like the one Oh two, one Oh four waist would indicate. Mm-hmm. Where what we're seeing on more of like the all mountain side with Cochise, Bonafide, and Brahma is like those wider waist width applications in like a heavy two sheets of metal ski. Like the Cochise was what the, the big splash with Blizzard was on RIP Skiing Magazine, you know, a decade ago. Yeah, I remember that. It was yeah, on the cover. Ski of the year at like 108, 110 yeah. underfoot. D- Dan Mitchell, former Blizzard <laughs> rep, he, <laughs> he gave me a that. pair of those skis and I was so hyped. Yeah. I was so hyped. And I remember my first couple of days on them, I was like, Oh boy. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> the, the Brahma 88 is still they one heavy. of our best selling skis, you know, across yeah. everything. And, and the Bonafide is definitely like taking a, a little bit of a hit, but still super, you know, top eight best selling ski for us. And, and Cochise has seen more. We've seen a migration more towards the Rustler 11 because, I mean, there's just more you can do with that ski. The Cochise is going to be better at doing that specific thing. And a lot of the guys on the Freeride World Tour are still a fan of that. But Rustler 11 just does a lot more, I think. But, you know, like, so you have the bona fide in that Cochise that takes that hit, but so has the mantra. And mm-hmm. the bona fide, you know, when that came out, the only thing that really lived in that world was the mantra, mm-hmm. and the bona fide needed to compete against that. And then you really only had 
those two skis that were pretty freaking, you know, intense, burly, all that stuff. But that's what the market wanted at that time. And then, you know, it just shifts. What we're trying to do in like, I think the initial launch of Rustler before I came to Blizzard was pretty indicative of this is like, not like seeing what necessarily needs to happen in the market unless it's like just kind of a, a, a specific segment like we're doing with Hustle, but like trying to understand where the consumer is trending and meet them where they're going to be rather than waiting for them to get there and then just trying to play catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Justin, we just breached an hour, which we try to, can you believe it? No, no. I I feel like we could keep going. (laughs) Um, So honestly, dude, for your first pod, what do you think? Sick. (laughs) Dream is over. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> your closer dude you're gonna wake up drive Sorry. down to boston now and do a podcast this did is I, just uh, a dream <laughs> hey did i interrupt that it's not bad <laughs> no but it is fun though yeah. i mean we're just it, it's awesome no this is rad it's i appreciate rad. you guys having me on like i mean i grew up in a ski shop it's my first job when i was 14 it's other than like restaurant industry it's all i've ever known so like to just kind of talk to dudes who've yeah, done most we, of the same thing and talk about stuff that excites us. Yeah, we didn't even get to that. Um, what, 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 pedigree? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Remember, you, we talked about that before. My dad was, uh, not to like go over the exit music. But <laughs> no, no, we, no we, we can keep talking. It's all good. The, uh, no rules. Up, if you bring up family members, I'm more likely to hit that button. <laughs> my my <laughs> dad, uh, number one, uh, Dennis Gaspari Lang pro rep, uh, <laughs> Jeff Hainu, is, uh, he's worked at Pedigree or did work at Pedigree, just retired. But Hold on. What? I was just going to say. Are we saying your what name What did wrong? you just say? Time out. How do I say your last name? You thought my last name was Hainu? Like you thought that was literally like on my birth certificate? Like I, I thought it was spelled. Time, spell it. I thought it was spelled H E Y. I don't think I've ever N-O-W. heard you say. There's a dash in there, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard like your last name pronounced correctly. I don't Hain think. Hain you. <laughs> Damn it! So when I got hired, like there's that makes enough. the font, the song a lot. <laughs> no, 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 like, dude, like essentially everybody but like my wife calls me Hey now. So like when I got hired by Blizzard, there was another Justin working within the Technica group at the time. So like, everybody's like, we got to get you a nickname. Like we have too many Justins. It's like, it's only two, but like, okay. So like <laughs> Sam cook, just like one day was just like, Hey now that's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's you. Like, so. it's, th- I mean, Dude, it's, it's your industry stuff. name. You're like so share. He, so he, yeah. get, so Sam cook calls him. Hey now. And he calls you a bitch. bitch. What Oof. the fuck dude? dude? Oh my God. I told that story that on the last one, on the last Corby one, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, but Sam cook called me a bitch. I haven't listened to it yet, but it's going to be in the car on the way home. He literally, sure. yeah. Wasn't going to do it. Yeah, we got another listener. It's great. Nice. All right. Hey, you. Yeah. It's been real, bro. Appreciate it. Good seeing you. Right on. Thanks, right. man. Peace, y'all.